Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Contact Monica at MonicaMatthews.com or on Twitter at MonicaOnAirTalk. Life, love, and liberty. It's Monica Matthews. Welcome back to the Monica Matthews Show. Life, love, liberty, all the good stuff. How's your life going? You hanging in there? I can tell by the traffic that I've seen pick up in the past 24 hours uh, that some of you have got the itch. Don't know where you're going. Don't know where you're shopping. But there's definitely um, an uptick in, in traffic in my city in Atlanta. Certainly not what it has been, but it's not the ghost town that it was for a couple of weeks. I think people are just getting antsy. There may also be a little bit of confusion around our government's, um, our governor's executive order that was supposed to have expired a shelter in place uh, last evening at midnight, or this morning rather, at midnight, but that has been extended through the end of this month. Uh, So quite possibly maybe some people are just um, uninformed about that, but If you live in the state of Georgia, you are uh, called to, by mandate, to executive order (laughs) to stay in place through the 30th of April. That could actually extend. I don't know. We will see in the coming days. I know the president is calling for the economy to reopen. Uh, Several governors have... um, connected to to discuss the rollout of that happening that scares the bejesus out of some of you and for others it could not come a moment too soon Uh, especially you small business owners Uh, some of you are really enjoying you know staying home and not having to um, uh, suffer through the traffic now interestingly enough there is a state representative here in the state of georgia who is a democrat he is a black gentleman who is no stranger to politics in the state of georgia he has been the CEO of our of our state's largest county. Uh, he has also been a state rep. He's run for the United States Congress and to be sheriff and, and was defeated in both instances. Uh, he finds himself now back at the Georgia State Legislature. He is being opposed, definitely being opposed now. Uh, he has openly <laughs> given his support to Donald Trump for his second term. Um Representative Vernon Jones is no stranger to controversy. He is no stranger to um, being called just about every name in the book, not only as a politician, but as a man. Um, I have known Representative Jones for a number of years. Did a little bit of work for him early on when I was an apolitical person, considering that uh, Representative Jones tends to teeter just left of center, and I mean just left of center. Um, it, it it was a perfect fit for that point in my career in terms of speech writing. Uh, but once I decided to pick a side <laughs> in the winning side of all things, 
life, love, and liberty uh, with conservative values, uh, we parted ways. So I think it's interesting that his own party, as you can imagine, has completely thrown him under the bus. He has made every possible news publication you can think of. He's been on a myriad of stations. Uh, people are just, some people are shocked. Others are not so much because historically speaking, uh, Representative Jones has been known, again, to be just left of center and actually right of center on fiscal concerns, on gay marriage, um, he's a little bit of a conundrum. One of my favorite white wines. Um, but here's what his own party is saying about uh, Representative Jones, who is siding with the president because he feels that the president has done more for black Americans than any president, particularly in the area of jobs and historically black colleges. Um, he is also, you know, he is on board with... Um, just about everything that most conservatives are from immigration. You know, uh, Representative Jones is tough on immigration as well. But here's what Democrat lawmakers, you know, think of him. State Senator Nakima Williams, the chairwoman of Georgia's Democrat Party, who flat out called him an embarrassment. She says that never has that been clearer than this moment when he chose to stand with the racist president who has made an all-out assault on black Americans who has tried to rip away American health care and who has failed our country in its greatest time of need, she says. Um, okay, so we have a we have a challenger. I know he's he's got a primary coming up. Okay. Uh they believe some people believe that he is a narcissist. Scott Holcomb, state representative Scott Holcomb, who happens to be a Democrat and a white guy, believes that they're both incompetent narcissists. That's what he thinks of President Trump as well as Vernon Jones. Now, I find this slightly comical on some level and the irony is just too much for me and I'm going to tell you why because in August of 2004 four senior current and former employees of the parks department okay this this is this is astonishing okay filed suit against DeKalb County uh, Vernon Jones and three of Jones's subordinates. Okay, at the time, he was the CEO of the county. They were alleging either racial discrimination or, in the case of one of them, retaliation for refusing to assist in racial discrimination. <laughs> so, 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 Representative Jones, this is back in 2004. So, keep this in mind. So, President Trump apparently is a racist against all black Americans, according to uh, according to State Senator Nakima Williams. But according to this lawsuit in 2004, um, Vernon Jones, at the time, DeKalb County CEO, was also accused of racial discrimination. Um, DeKalb County moved for a summary judgment on the grounds of qualified immunity as state officials, but that was rejected and overturned and all of that. And as it turns out, the jurors found that 
Vernon Jones, his former executive assistant, and a former parks director were liable only for $185,000 in damages, which is much less than the $2 million requested by the plaintiffs. Um, while DeKalb County was, filed, was found liable for racial discrimination, the jury rejected those claims against Jones, but held that he had, quote, created and maintained a hostile work environment. He was ordered to personally pay $27,750 of the damages, but DeKalb County's $50,000 liability insurance policy on its employees covered the part of the award personally uh, assessed against him. His attorneys and he initially hailed the verdict as a victory because, uh, because of the relatively low damages. After the judge awarded the plaintiffs an additional $1.9 million in legal fees, DeKalb County ultimately agreed to pay the plaintiffs a total of $1.3 million for legal fees and damages as of 2011. Now, call it what you will, but here's some interesting numbers. So, testimony during this trial revealed that during the first five years of Jones's term in office, the number of white senior county managers had dropped from 61 to 57, and the number of African-American senior county managers had risen from 33 to 61. So, all that to say, clearly, Representative Vernon Jones believes in the best and the brightest, and for whatever reason, according to his own tenure as CEO in DeKalb County, he believes that that, in fact, was probably more along the lines of helping out black folks, right, people who look like him. Well, interestingly enough, but one of the reasons that he's supporting President Trump is because President Trump, he feels, has done more than any other president to help the black community. Now, what does that tell you? What does that tell you that someone who would increase his own employees and basically run a campaign of bigger, blacker, and better, okay, keep the cap black? And believe me, I'm laughing because I live in Atlanta, Georgia, where the black mafia of politics is a real thing. And people run campaigns here with hashtags and slogans called Keep Atlanta Black. I'm not, if I'm lying, I'm frying. I'm telling you, it is exactly how it works here. So it's just kind of interesting to me, the dynamic at work with a representative being accused of being involved with a racist who himself has been accused of being a racist. Do you follow me? So the one accused of being a racist and a narcissist is someone who's been taken to task legally for those exact charges has been found to create a hostile work environment and soliciting people who have worked for him and his subordinates directly all around him and under him, below him, uh, you know, peripherally, um, as as being a, a bully, a racist, we need more black folks who are brighter, does it, blah, 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 okay? And here's the president who's being accused of being nothing more than a bigot and a racist, and he doesn't like black people, according to Georgia's Democrat caucus, which is clearly somewhere on another playing field of reality, as are most Democrats. So this is the poop show that you're going to hear more about. He has broken ranks from the Democrats. They have called him every name in the book there there are they're trying to basically take his take his man card his d card all of it um 
they are beside themselves. But if anyone was going to break ranks, it would definitely be Representative Vernon Jones. I think anyone could have seen that coming. But just interesting to me how people don't stop and think about that which they accuse others of. And I want to I want to touch on this historically black colleges thing because it's one of the reasons that Vernon decided that he would support the president is because of his executive order and initiatives with regard to HBCUs. Something a little history about HBCUs for some of you who may not know. An HBCU is a is a is a higher education institution that was uh, instituted prior to 1964 for the sole purpose of educating black people. Now, what's interesting to me is that for the eight years of Obama's administration, historically black colleges only saw $4 billion, $4 billion in comparison to um, President Trump's signing of a permanent uh, allocation to historically black colleges to the tune of $250 million per year, which was a bipartisan effort. Now, you do the math. Eight years. And I have to tell you, the pres- everyone from the president of the United Negro College Fund to historically black colleges and universities, um, they were sorely disappointed in their first black president. And his not even... Mm, I, I guess I would probably call it his neglect. And it had to have been a willful neglect because Obama clearly knew he was the first black president because everyone from here to Mars and Venus knew he was the first black president. We're still talking about the fact that he was the first black president. So how is it that the first black president of the United States of America does not stop and think about taking care of historically black colleges and universities while traveling to these universities to remind black young minds at every speech he and his wife gave, every speech I've ever heard the two of those give at a historically black college and university or university, uh, reminded those beautiful, young, black, hopeful, vibrant, just made it through, you know, the crucible of four years of college. Y'all know how hard that is. Every single speech included, you got to know how hard it's going to be because you're black. You got to know you got to work that much harder. You still got to work harder than anybody else. How defeating is that? Some of you think that's reality. And, and and you know what? I'm a female. So if anyone understands about having to work a little bit harder than the guy next to me, I get it. But when that's what you leave people with while leaving their opportunity zone of education basically unfunded, basically impotent, basically broke, who gets away with that? In the meantime, you have the same black folks running through the country right now telling us and telling their base that he ha- is the worst racist and, and, and willfully neglectful president toward blacks in the history of the presidency. I mean, what? Do you know this? 
How about this? While we're allocating all of these funds to historically black colleges and universities, do you know how many of their students actually graduate? Their graduation rates are dismal. 30%. 30%. That means 70% of the students who enroll at an HBCU will simply not graduate. It won't happen. They won't walk. They will not get the piece of paper. They will not find employment with a degree, a four-year degree. What does that tell you? Where's the money going? People want more money, money, money. $250 million a year for infrastructure. What does that infrastructure include exactly? So I want to read something to you that I found very interesting. This is a piece written in the undefeated.com. Okay. It is a piece on HBCUs and it's titled New Tactics Needed to Fix Low HBCU Graduation Rates. Thurgood Marshall College Fund CEO thinks legendary Eddie Robinson got it right. In an effort to inspire his football players, legendary Grambling State coach Eddie Robinson, 75 years ago, decided to put a ring on it. This was written in 2016, by the way. He would go room to room in the player's dormitory, ringing his cowbell to wake them at 6.30 in the morning. His gut logic? If he could get them to breakfast, then he could get them to class. In today's vernacular, Robinson's cowbell routine would be termed an intervention. An intervention that is sorely needed at today's historically black colleges and universities, otherwise known as HBCUs, says Johnny C. Taylor, Jr., President and CEO of the Thurgood Marshall College Fund, a Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit organization that represents 40 public HBCUs. Again, this was written in 2016. He says, we need intrusive academic and social counseling for our students. Taylor told the undefeated in a blunt assessment of the situation. I'm going to say that again. We need an intrusive academic and social counseling for our students. Some some stunning statistics as the fall semester begins. The Journal of Blacks and Higher Education surveyed 64 of the 100 historically black colleges and universities. Only five of those school surveys, schools surveyed, graduated more than 50% of their students. I want you to think about that. Of the 60, surveyed 64 of the 100 HBCUs, only five out of the 64 graduated more than 50% of their students. The graduation rates in the survey using statistics from the U.S. Department of Education from 2014 was defined as an all as all enrolled students who earned a degree within six years at the same institution. Nationally, for all schools, black and white, the graduation rate is 60%. So no one's really doing that great of a job, Taylor says. The graduation rate for HBCUs is only 35%. So here's another number for you. Instead of 30, it's 35%, Taylor says. The Journal reported... That, a, that ha, at half of the HBCU surveyed, the black student graduation rate is 34% or lower. And there are seven HBCUs in which fewer than one in five black students earn a bachelor's degree within six years. One in five. 
seven HBCUs. One in five will earn a bachelor's degree within six years. The stats are startling because HBCUs, some which date to the Reconstruction in the South after the Civil War, widely accepted as the period from 1865 to 1877, ostensibly were designed to improve an underserved community. HBCUs operate with a special mission in mind and a higher cause. Asked to formulate outside-of-the-box remedies, Taylor offered a three-point plan as a starter's kit, though some possible cures and fix-it methods could be viewed as controversial. All right, you ready? Add a more intense layer to students' risk assessment. Many academically talented students attend HBCUs, often with the assistance of much-needed scholarships based on stellar achievement on the SAT, ACT testing apparatus, high school grade point averages, and writing skills. However, some HBCUs also promote what essentially are open admissions policies. So what about those students on the proverbial bubble? Frankly, we have a history of taking students with low standardized test scores and GPAs, said Taylor. He earned his law degree from Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. That shows that we are willing to take risks. We have to have a more individualistic way to assess the student's readiness for college. So we have to look at other factors like interviews. We need face-to-face interviews for some students who may not have the classic profile of standardized test scores and GPA, but they may have true grit. He then invokes the analogy of a job interview. We don't make absolute decisions in hiring solely based on ACTs or GPA, said Taylor, author of the book The Trouble with HR, an insider's guide to finding and keeping the best people. We have to rethink the process at HBCUs. Another advantage of the interview process, he says, is that schools can better assess the student's inherent needs or weaknesses before the student arrives on campus for class. What, are, what we're doing now is not working. Number two. Increase emphasis on reinforcing positive social skills. For many students, heading off to college marks the first time they've been away from home for more than a weekend. For them, college is viewed as a pathway to freedom, the first time that tethered grip from their parents has been unshackled. That split also could spell trouble. Some students encounter time management and behavioral issues such as late-night carousing, excessive drinking, indifference, apathy, and even laziness. He says a student doesn't have to come to class if a student doesn't have to come to class and isn't forced to do so, but we need to let them know you have to be disciplined to survive in college. Don't drink five nights a week and expect to be ready for an eight o'clock class in the morning. So he offered two intervention techniques. Check this out. (laughs) This is where it probably gets really hairy. Okay, one focuses on personality tests, which also could be used during the admissions process at the entry level. We should use predictive tests and analytics, Taylor said. Essentially, a series of personality test questions that can tell us about a kid's grit, tenacity, and reaction to adversity. The elements of grit and tenacity also invoke the hunger factor, Let's be honest, Taylor says, some students don't have the incentive to graduate college. They may not be hungry enough. And there's another category, though much smaller in scope at HBCUs. We don't talk about it in our community a lot, Taylor says, but there are some black kids who are trust fund babies just like white kids. They have other options in life and don't need to graduate college to have a good life. 
However, for the average black student, personality tests can be a useful tool, he says. For example, if a student makes a D or an F on a test or a quiz, these personality testing methods can gauge a student's resilience or their ability to bounce back from that bad grade and stay the course. Another solution is tantamount to bed and welfare checks and truancy interventions, similar to the practices of Robinson, who early in his career also coached basketball and baseball and trained the Grambling drill team for halftime shows, packed sandwiches for the players on road games, painted the chalk lines before games, called in game reports to the area newspaper, and taped the players' injured ankles and knees. Simply put, Robinson was ubiquitous and, yes, a bit meddlesome because he cared deeply. If you miss class, then someone should come looking for you, Taylor said. When you notice Johnny isn't going to class, then you literally show up at Johnny's room. HBCUs used to do this. So there's something that can be said for going old school. Here's a crucial component as well. Number three, stress the importance of financial literacy. There's a famous line from the movie, All the President's Men, follow the money. For many students aspiring to be in the positive retention and graduation category, college success often hinges on more money, more money, more money. Far too many end up being on the negative side of the ledger. Too many of our children come in undercapitalized, and this is so true across the board. But Taylor says that means they come in without enough money for anything past the first semester. Many students are given guidelines to obtaining scholarships, grants, loans, work-study opportunities, and part-time jobs on or near their campuses. Quite often, though, it's not about the availability of money. It's about the money that is available. Hence, financial literacy. We have gotten out of the practice of balancing checkbooks, Taylor said. A lot of our kids are first-generation college students. It's a challenge to deal with parents of students who have had bad financial skills. Sadly, a negative situation can be explained that simply. And the proliferation of high technology, smartphones, and computer programs apparently isn't the be-all and end-all when it comes to increasing financial literacy skills. A more likely indicator is this. If parents practice financial skills detrimental to their well-being, those traits are often passed on to their children. He says, our kids largely don't have that luxury of a wealth of financial resources, Taylor said. So if they spend money and go broke, they're gone. Solutions? The obvious. Take financial literacy classes in high school. But what happens when those classes aren't offered in grades 9 through 12? Then we have to work with the students and parents. When they come to college, Taylor says, you just can't tell people to go to any school they want to go to and not worry about the cost. Another possible solution, mandate that all incoming college students take a financial literacy class during the first semester. Besides the action steps listed, Taylor named as one of the Power 100 by Ebony Magazine as list of 100 most influential black Americans recommends a change in attitudes and outlook on the part of many in the black community. Two words, education shaming. 
We've all seen that poignant and powerful mantra promoting the United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. Hatched by the much-respected advertising firm Young and Rubicam in 1971, the slogan espouses the benefits of black folk attending four-year colleges. However, Taylor, like many other critics and advocates furthering other forms of educational training for young people, instead of focusing solely on mainstream institutions, he says it seems we're telling our kids that if you don't go to a four-year school then you are wasting your mind. Which brings us to two-year schools, one-year associate degree programs, community colleges, trade schools, and the like. Years ago, classes in the industrial arts were common nationwide in middle and high school. A 16-year-old could learn such skills such as welding, auto mechanics, drafting, carpentry, to the point where a high school graduate could sign on as an apprentice in the construction industry or at a machine shop. Those educational pursuits would be extremely valuable in today's economy. If a kid can't go to a four-year college, it doesn't mean your life is over, especially if you're good with your hands. What about former Democratic Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders' idea of free college for everyone? This was, again, folks, in 2016. So what about candidate Bernie Sanders' idea of free college for everyone? Taylor says, not a good idea, even though many students exit college in massive debt. There's something called vested interest or skin in the game. No kid who has the desire to go to college should be prevented from attending, Taylor says, but just because it's free doesn't mean everyone has the right to go. They may have the opportunity, but not a visceral desire. That's two different issues that nonetheless are inextricably linked. Which brings us back to the core mission statement of most HBCUs. Many of our students aren't reading at the basic grade level, Taylor said. Some kids are so ill-prepared that our job is to fix what everybody before us have failed at during the previous 12 years of schooling. This is truly astounding. Now, I want you to think about everything I just said and what everyone rah-rahs about regarding HBCUs and the president, you know, and 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 uh, a criminal justice reform and the First Step Act and all of that. Listen, I'm not poo-pooing on these things, but my point is, when are we going to quit throwing money after projects, thinking that money is the solution? If the opportunity is there, what are we doing in the public school sector? What are we doing with regard to charter schools? What are we doing with regard to the opportunity zones with regard to schooling? Now, right now, I hope you are seizing the opportunity to really see where your children's skill set is. Where are they? Can you please measure where your children are? Can they read? We have made everything so racially charged that you cannot have an honest conversation about what this man just stated as fact, that you have students attending historically black colleges and universities who cannot read past a fifth grade reading level. How does that happen? How does that happen? We're not taking care of our kids in the lower levels. In the elementary years, 
and we keep abdicating our responsibility. You know how many kids right now are sitting at home in your public, your government school system whose parents don't give a damn about whether or not they can read? All they care about is getting a check. All they care about is how racist Donald Trump is. All they care about is what an Uncle Tom sellout representative Vernon Jones is. That's the only conversation they'll ever have with their children around anything political. Where's mine? I got to get mine. You got to get yours. And if we can't get ours, we're going to take yours. These conversations, you've got to start having these honest conversations across the board. I am white. I'm going to continue having these conversations. You know why? Because my blood is red, just like yours. And I love our children. And yes, every child does deserve an opportunity, at a, a shot at an education. But from everything from it's not my child, we've gone from it takes a village to keep your mouth shut and stay away from my kid. We are so litigious, we're waiting for a handout. Waiting for a handout. Because we refuse to take responsibility for our individuality. And our black churches do a huge disservice to the black community on top of that. Discussing, you know how many of them should just be shut down for having political conversations, backing candidates. 501c3 status is shut down is what I mean by that. I mean, take it down. Fine, get out of bed with Caesar, but you can't have it both ways. I'm sorry, you cannot have it both ways. You cannot get up there and proselytize politically and shame your congregations for wanting to live a life of educational freedom, socio-political freedom in this country. Shame on you. Shame, shame, shame is another mantra of the left. They love to shame you to death. Well, I'm going to use that mantra back. I'm going to use that mantra back on you. Shame. For anyone who accepts the crap that you hear coming from the left about President Donald Trump, about, you know, he's it he he's a he's a racist, he's a narcissist, he's a bigot, you name it, you've heard it. But I'm gonna tell you, if people really cared, they would take the conversation a little bit deeper than HBCUs. You need to be taking it down into your municipalities, into your local government. You guys keep voting for the same Democrat crap base of people according to skin color. And then you look to the president to make everything okay. You had eight years of a quasi-black president. Eight years. And what have you gotten for it? A telephone, welfare, division, strife, suspicion, hatred of authority, victimization, marginalization in your own minds, in your own neighborhoods. When is it going to be enough? So hats off to Representative Vernon Jones. I know there are many people in my state who are not a fan of Representative Jones. I suspect <laughs> that, and he, God, you can't blame him, but, you know, there, there's some type of a, hey, you know, I, I, he kind of reminds me of my former mayor, our former king, because, you know, we have a monarchy here in the, in the city of Atlanta. Same read, hoping that, you know, I mean, when that when that ship just sailed right past him on the Obama administration, that appointment gone. G-A-W-N. Float right on down the Chattahoochee River here in the state of Georgia. Gone. You got to know, our own mayor now waiting on an appointment 
for Joe Biden as if he would remember that at this point. But waiting on an appointment as HUD secretary, that's apparently something she's been promised. Stacey Abrams, she's hanging on, y'all. She's waiting to see if she's going to be the VP. She's the VP hopeful. She is still the mayor uh, incognito, I mean the governor, governess incognito here in the uh, de facto here in the state of Georgia. Still running her mouth and her nonprofit agency uh, administrations um, based on ignorance of people who never, who were never taught the value of individualism, their right to prosper according to the work of their own hands, their right to show up once you go through the system of signing up like everyone else does, the right to find out where your polling stations are and you show up and you vote. That, you know, you do have a right to vote once you go through the proper process of registering to vote. Who didn't teach people this? Who didn't take a basic civics course? I dare say the same people who cannot balance their checkbooks. All right. This is not a racial issue, but it's being made a racial issue. So y'all better get ready. November's around the corner. Okay, I'm done for the day. I've had enough of this mess. I will say the president, he's on a roll. We're now defunding who the World Health Organization as well. We should, as you can see from their early recommendations that this was not person-to-person contact. I mean, just so many um, inconsistencies and, and incestuous allegiances and alliances through the World Health Organization between the UN, I mean, which is just another, you know, a cabal. It's basically a cartel. Um, it's a mess, just like the EU, as far as I'm concerned. Thank God, Brexit. I mean, Brexit's finally a thing. Um, but that's just stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay at peace. Stay informed. Start opening your mind to what else, you know, what the real struggles are of things that are going on around you with people who might not look like you, people who don't believe like you, people who don't practice the same sexuality as you. Open your mind to see what's really happening so you can be a part of the solution. All right. Until tomorrow, you can find me on Twitter at Monica on Air Talk, MonicaMatthews.com, Monty Matthews on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher. Thank you for subscribing. Remember, be good to your neighbor beginning in your own mirror. And if you're an American, act like one. <laughs>